You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, for today, we are wrapping up our series that we've called Lies, Lies, Lies. We're finishing that series today with the lie, the lie that you are where you came from. You are where you came from, or for some of us, that's synonymous with you are who you came from. And of course, not everything about this phrase, you are where you came from, is bad. There are good things about this phrase, and there are things that we can celebrate and cherish, right? It can bring a sense of honor as we look at our past and and talk about where we came from. We can honor our parents and have a sense of pride come over us for our family line or or something maybe unique about the area or the region that we grew up in and, and how specifically where we grew up has impacted who we are. These are all good examples. And because of that, we have sayings in our culture. We say things like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in reference to maybe a blessing that we can offer to our children. Or we say things like father, like son, or she takes after her mother. An old school one, he's just a chip off the old block. Right? These are sayings that have been passed down for generations. In my family, one of the things that we said was, this is the Faust family way. This is who we are. This is what we're about. This is how we go about our business. And a lot of times these phrases are used to bring a sense of collectiveness or cohesion, even camaraderie around the family line, the family tree, and and who we are. But since we're in the middle of a series called Lies, 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 we also need to probably talk about, and today's focus, we'll be talking about how sometimes those phrases are actually used more in a negative tone. And when they're used, although occasionally they can be used as a blessing, when they're used, sometimes it feels a lot more like a curse than it does a blessing. And so just like you can bless someone by saying, like father, like son, or, or this is how our family's always done it, you can also create a system of lies around these phrases and end up believing or even saying out loud things like, well, my mom was anxious and I'm anxious and so my kids are going to be anxious too because... This is what's seen in our family line. Anxiety is just part of who we are. Or if addictions have been everywhere in your family tree, then we can say things like, well, alcoholism runs in my family. I guess there's just no escaping it for me. This is my lot in life because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Those are the obvious ones. There's also like sneaky ones that sound like a blessing, but can sometimes be a little misguided. And so just a personal example from my own life is that there was a definitely a, a particular type of job or a particular type of vocation that my family wanted me to go and be about. And so when I felt called to ministry, I got a mixed response because nobody in my family line had ever gone into ministry before. Nobody had ever really done that before. It wasn't part of the Faust family way. And my mom got fairly excited pretty quickly, and I do think that most of my family has come around to appreciate what Natalie and I do and and maybe even respect what we do, but at first, it was definitely a mixed bag. 
I mean, if I were to line up my uncles and aunts and, and my parents up on this stage right now, and, and we were to talk about their vocational careers, you, to all worldly standards, you would probably say that they've established themselves in their career in high-paying jobs. If we lined them all up, you could just point at them, and it would go lawyer, doctor, doctor, business owner, doctor, dean of science at a major university, entrepreneur. And that would be the lineup of my family. And then I would kind of be over here in the shadows, theology school, ministry, and that, that didn't fit the family system. It didn't fit the family line. And so when I presented that to my parents, I got a mixed bag because it wasn't med school. It wasn't law school. And it was definitely bucking against the family system. And then it really came to a head when I told them I wanted to go to mission school. And Natalie and I wanted to fundraise for our support and so they could all expect a fundraising letter in the future. That we were actually not just going into ministry, but that we were going to be poor and we were going to have to ask for support from all of the people around us. It got really awkward really fast. But this is what I mean when I say um, that the lie, you are where you have come from, can, can sometimes actually be a misguided ceiling that gets placed on top of your life, a, a misguided path that, that you have to take instead of maybe what God has for you or where he's inviting you to go. These are false positives in a way that lean into this lie that sounds so good, and it maybe even feels right, but it's actually not what God has for you. And of course, the, the negative ones are just a little bit easier to spot, and I've heard a lot of those uh, in ministry the last number of years, right? Phrases like, my family's always had money issues, and so I'm not surprised that I'm going to have money issues too, or I come from a long line of angry men, and so I'm sorry, but I'm just angry. It's what the men are like in my family. And I remember having some really honest conversations with my parents about the long line of, of dysfunction that could be found in our family tree. And it is true that families can uh, pass down brokenness from one generation to another, that the sins of the past tend to repeat themselves. But sooner or later, we need to look each other in the eye. We need to look ourselves in the eye, and, and we need to look at Jesus and say, how powerful do we believe the gospel truly is? You know, how much transformation do we believe is in this book? How much transformation do we believe can happen in a relationship with Jesus? Because if we follow a Savior who, who predicted his death and resurrection and then saw it come to be, I would say that that Savior has more power over our family line than sometimes we care to admit. That actually transformation and the promise of the gospel can heal wounds and transform lineages and set us on a path that maybe we didn't realize was a promise for us. The phrase, you are where you came from, doesn't have to define you. It does impact you. Without a doubt, where you came from impacts you, but impact and definition are two different things. Impact and definition are two different things. Not surprisingly, Jesus dealt with this same lie. Jesus dealt with this same lie, the same reality that people tried to judge him and hem him in and create a reality for him based on the family that he came from and based where he was born. You can see this in a couple different texts in the gospel. The one I'm going to read about today or read from today is in Matthew chapter 13, and you do get a lot of interesting ideas and 
and thoughts around faith and miracles and the person of Jesus in Matthew 13, but specifically tied to this phrase, you are where you came from. It's interesting what you can pull from this text. So I'm going to read from Matthew 13, verses 53 to 58. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all of these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. At first, they were amazed. They were amazed at his power and his wisdom. He had been doing miracles. They were amazed at what he was doing. And within the same exact paragraph of their amazement, they also scoffed. They scoffed, and in verse 57, it says they were deeply offended by Jesus. He's just the carpenter's son, they said. He's working class, nothing special, doesn't have a theology background, doesn't come from a family members with a, with a religious teaching lineage or anything like that. He doesn't have the pedigree needed for this kind of leadership and teaching. He's just a commoner, just a worker, and he needs to go back to building houses just like his family. This was a big, who do you think you are type of moment for Jesus. And some of it was natural because of the cultural context of the time. Like it was much more of a cultural norm in Jesus' day to follow your parents' footsteps, to, to do what your parents did. And so if your dad was a farmer, it was common that you would become a farmer. Or if your dad was a carpenter, like in Jesus' day, in Jesus' case, it's likely that he would have become a carpenter and learned that trade too. But they tried to superimpose this cultural context upon his life and prematurely put a ceiling on his calling and on his path, even though he was to be about something different. Scripture says they even ridiculed him in reference to his mother and brother and sisters and all of the family system, right? They said, we know Mary. We know his brothers, we know his sisters, they've grown up right among us. We've seen all of their mess, we've seen their struggles and their trials and, we're, and their sins. What, what makes Jesus so special? They scoffed, they were offended. And usually you bring offense when you dare to break the lies around you. Have you noticed that? Usually you bring offense when you dare to break the lies around you because all of a sudden it messes with the family system. It's a lot easier when you just go along with the lie, when you just go along with the cadence, when you go along with what's expected of you, because then you're, then all of a sudden, right, like you're not holding anybody else accountable to the lack of decisions that they're making either, right? You can just continue with like your fatalistic, fatalistic approach to life and what God has for you, because what can you even do? This is the system you, you're born into that you can't do anything to fight against this. But once Jesus said, no, I'm not defined by where I came from or who I came from. Instead, I'm defined by who God says I am. 
So once you say that and once you begin to pursue the healing and transformation that God has for your life, I promise you, you will start to offend people. Because it's going to shed light on the decisions, the personal decisions that you are beginning to make for your own healing and transformation, and it will begin to shed light on the lack of decisions that other people from the same family system are refusing to make. And it becomes bothersome for the people that you're around. This is the story of Jesus. And of course, it applies to us in the same way today. And, and, and there's tension, right? We talked about this tension. There are things of your past and there's things of your family you want to celebrate and they should be celebrated. But there are things that need to be forgotten. There are things that need to be healed. There are things that need to be transformed. This is surely true in Jesus's life. I mean, Jesus isn't Jesus unless he came where he came from. It's kind of important that Jesus came from where he came from. There's a whole bunch of Old Testament prophecies that told us where Jesus was going to come from and how he was going to come about. And those things needed to go in the way that they needed to go in order for Jesus to be him. In the same way, this is true about us, right? Like, I am from small town Iowa. I come from a family tree of of doctors, lawyers, and entrepreneurs. it would be foolish for me to say that that has an impact on me. Of course it's impacted me. And at the same time, the other side of my family tree, I, I have family members who lived on food stamps and, and WIC, and they collected bottle cans in Iowa and returned them five cents a, a piece so that they could have extra spending cash to make ends meet. Both of these realities are in my family tree, and both of them have impacted who I am. And you have your thing great things, things to celebrate and things to cherish, and things that need to be healed and transformed. And so whenever we're talking about this, we we feel the tension, right? We feel the tension of wanting to honor and bless and be thankful and also embrace God's plan for healing and transformation. Our history impacts us. Where we've come from impacts us. But again, it doesn't have to define you because in Christ you are made a new creation and he can transform all things. In the midst of that journey, that journey of transformation then, I have found that as we discover the impact of our family, as we discover the impact of where we've come from, that oftentimes we respond in a variety of different ways. I'm going to share a couple with you This morning, first, you can cherish where you came from. You can cherish it. And I think God is inviting us to be able to take the gold from our past, take the gold from where we've come from, and thank God for it and develop a gratefulness for that and and really cherish those moments. We've talked about this a little bit already, so I'm going to kind of move our way through this one quickly, but I do think it's important to recognize that growing in gratefulness and being able to separate the, the good from the bad or chew the meat and spit out the bones, so to speak, is a really important part to our own journey and healing, that we can cherish the things from our past. And so that's the first way. The second way is that sometimes you're defeated by where you came from, that you can actually look back and examine where you've come from and you realize that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, that you're just like your parents, and in those moments that it's common for you to be defeated 
This is where some of those sayings that I shared earlier in the message become personalized, right? Like, my grandpa was anxious, my dad is anxious, and now I'm anxious. My kids are probably going to be anxious. Or my grandma was angry, my mom is angry, and now I am angry. In ministry, I have seen the defeated belief and response a lot. I've seen it played out in a lot of our lives, and I'm always, like, it's a mixture between being shocked and saddened, both. Because it begins to put a cap or a ceiling on the power of the gospel in our lives when we live into that defeated mentality. See, these are, these are lies. They, and just because they're lies doesn't mean that it's not true about your struggle. Like, these things can still be true about your struggle. They can be true about your habits, or they can be true about your addictions, or they can be true about your mental health, but they don't have to continue to be true about who you are or who you are becoming because of the power of Jesus. The gospel is bigger than where you came from and more powerful than who you came from. Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and came back to life so that we could not just talk about freedom, but so that we could experience freedom. Some of us respond when we're defeated, and others, although sometimes we can do all of these, sometimes all in the same week, some of us look at the defeated mentality and we say, well, we're not going to be that, and so what we do is we respond a little bit more aggressively, and then you end up hating where you came from. This can be the story for many of us, that you hate where you came from, you fight it, you you reject it, you deny it, you push with all of your strength and all of your might against it. And you can usually spot this one pretty easily because the sayings that follow someone who hates where they came from usually sound something like this, I'll never do what my dad did. Or I'll never be like my mother. I'll never do what my family did. I'll never struggle with that. I'll, I'll never, I refuse to repeat the sins of my family. And, and I applaud your zeal and you will need some of that grit to step out of that lie and into God's truth. But can I humbly offer you that this morning that, that maybe that's not actually the best way to move forward. That hating and rejecting where or who you came from and making a personal vow to somehow defeat that in your own strength, in your own power might not be the best way to move forward. I've tried that. If you were going to put me into a category, this is my category. I've tried it and it doesn't really work. It's a short-term motivator. It helps with behavior modification But eventually, the pressures of life will wear your zeal thin and your strength will fail. And on your worst days, you'll find yourself doing exactly what you refused and vowed you would never do. And on your best days, you're still being controlled by hatred for the past instead of grace for your future. Tim Keller is a well-respected church planter and theologian from the Manhattan area in New York City. And he said that when you hate where you come from, you still are allowing your past to actually control you. 
You're still allowing your past to control you. You're still being controlled by the things you hate. Instead of being truly set free, instead of being truly transformed and healed, all you're doing is simply focusing the same amount of energy and the same amount of strength to reject or hate those lives, but the result is they're still at the center of your mind and they're still at the center of your heart. It feels better than repeating the past. It feels better than leaning into the things that you don't love. But there's still the focus of your defiance. And when your goal is only to not be like that or never do what they did, then there's no way that you can fully embrace the true healing and long-term transformation that comes with a life-changing relationship with Jesus. All you're doing at that point is making decisions about what you don't want to do or who you don't want to be instead of fully embracing God's call in your life to be more like him, transformed by him, transforming the world. And if any of this is making sense to anyone this morning here in this room or tuning in online, then the good thing is, the good news is, is that despite our current struggles, they don't have to be our lifelong battles. That your current struggles don't have to be your lifelong battles. It doesn't have to be that way because if you've given your life to Christ, then the scripture tells us that you've been adopted into God's family. That you have been adopted into God's family, into a new way of doing things, into a new family line and family heritage and into a new family outlook and family System. Ephesians 1 and Romans 8 both tell you that upon giving your life to Christ and surrendering your life to him, that you've been adopted into his family. You are now called children of the Most High God. You're no longer slaves to sin or your past, but your spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And you can receive every blessing from him. We've been given this new lineage and new heritage. We've now been placed into a family that's not marked by those things that you reject or you hate or are defeated by, but you're marked, you're in a family marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You're marked by a family that, that, that's, uh, or you're invited into a family that's been marked by forgiveness and power and healing and generosity, one marked by the sacrificial and servant-hearted love of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that it won't take work, right? It doesn't doesn't mean that rewriting your generational line will be easy. It won't be easy. It takes effort to rewrite a generational story. Natalie and I have both seen counselors. We've both done hard work of working on our emotional history and our emotional stability because we feel like spiritual health and emotional health tend to go together. So the class she's leading right now, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, we've done all kinds of things like that. We've done all kinds of work like that, and it has been completely revolutionary for who we are and who we're becoming. But it's not been easy. It's not been easy. It's just been worth it. It's just been worth it. It's not comfortable. Seeing generational change is not comfortable, but sooner or later, you have to stand on your own two feet, look yourself in the mirror and say, I am wanting healing and transformation for myself and for my family more than I want comfort. And that is the unction. 
That is what you need to stir you to move forward. It will take work. It will take incredible work. But the beauty of being adopted into God's family doesn't mean that the lion's share of work relies on you. It doesn't. You don't have to do the heavy lifting. You have to lift. You have to be yoked to Jesus. But Jesus is doing the heavy lifting for you. He's the one that's going to do the lion's share of the work. And so the best thing that you and I can do is that we can start at the cross. That we get invited to the cross. We need the cross. You need the sacrifice of Jesus to start, and you need it to see it all the way to the end. You need his death on behalf of you and on behalf of your past and everything and everywhere where you come from, and you need his death for everything in the days ahead. Now, I could stand up here and I could tell you all the 100 and 150 things that you need to have as a part of your life in order to expedite and accelerate your emotional healing process and to walk away from these lies and to truly be set free. But I have just come to believe what Paul says is the best thing to say. The foolishness of the cross is just the place to start. It's the place to stay and it's the place to keep going back to time and time Again, the cross is where the lies get dismantled. The cross is the place where we can walk away from our past. The cross is where generational sins can be broken and we can be invited into rewriting a new story for our family. This is why in just a moment when we move to our time of prayer and reflection and ministry, why I'm going to invite everybody to take communion together today. We always create an opportunity every Sunday for you to take communion kind of on your own as a response to God, but we want to get into the habit of taking it together as a church family on the first Sunday of every month. And so we're going to invite you to, to take communion as a church family in just a little bit, but when you do, I would encourage you to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, to remember that he broke his body so that you could be made whole, that he shed his blood so that you could be made as white as snow, washed completely because of his love and his grace and his mercy for you. Taking communion together reminds us that if we want to do the hard work of changing our family story, that it needs to start with Jesus Christ at the cross. Because if we've been adopted into God's family, then we simply no longer have to be defined by where we came from. Instead, we can be defined by how he's adopted us into his family and set us free, free today, and free forevermore. Let's pray.